GameZillaMedia.com. It's time for the last action podcast. Pop quiz, hot shot. Hey, motherfucker. I feel the need. The need for speed. Kill it. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Come with me if you want to live. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of The Last Action Podcast. Hovercraft Joe here with you as always. And sitting, I guess, kind of across from me virtually is LPJ. Hi, it's it's nice to be here. Uh, I'm glad you decided to come back as a guest on my show. Uh, <laughs> I always I always like when you have me on. I, I seem to always be available to be on your show. You are. So You're very fl- you have a very flexible schedule. I appreciate that. I can always count on you to to be here and, and pitch in for our regular co-host. No, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Um, and but I'm not the only guest this week. We have two two guests, two returning guests, making their uh, second appearance together on the podcast. Uh, there's uh, Corn Dog. Hey, well, uh, thanks for having me back. <laughs> and Dave. What's up? So you guys like a <laughs> I guess like a couple now? Is this like a thing? Are <laughs> hey, you like hey, Dave and Corn Dog? Jamie's gonna get mad. Well then, that might be a little salty. Yeah, maybe he should just decide to be on the show again and stop complaining. Let's be honest; he's not going to listen to the episode. You can say whatever you want about him; he ain't going to listen. Um. Anyways, thanks for being back, guys. Uh, we are Hold here on. to before talk- you thank them. We should probably talk about the movie they picked. <laughs> I did not pick this. I was just like, "Hey, we're doing this. You want to be on too?" And I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." Well, so okay, let's let's should- save our appreciation. All right, let's, for later. Let's, let's clarify. Originally, Corndog and JB were going to be on, and they were going to do a different movie. We won't mention it now because it'll happen at some point. But then JB wasn't available, and, and, and Corndog was like, yeah, it's still going to be on. And I don't know how. We had kind of talked about it. The movie yeah. we're doing is Half Past Dead, which, uh, for those of you who don't know, is a movie starring Steven Seagal. Nobody and knows John what this Rule. movie is. John Rule. I don't know. I, I remember it being yeah, advertised. Uh, sorry, guys. This is probably my last episode too, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's kind of get into it because I think I know what most of our first experiences with this movie are. But what about you, Corn Dog? Like, uh, do you have any other prior experience so, with this? So yeah, I, I had only seen this once prior. I, I thought it would be worth watching again and talking about, and and boy, was I wrong. Um, but this, uh, stems back, you know, like I told you when this came out, I was probably 11, 12 years old. Uh, and it was one of those classic, you know, parents are going out nights here. We rented a bunch of movies. Uh, here you go. I think I watched this in the ring, uh, in one evening. So that was probably (laughs) what I was doing. All right. Do you remember like when you first saw it being like, yeah, this movie rules. Well, I I think when you're, you know, that age, explosion, gunshot, cool. (laughs) Um, yeah, that's yeah, that's fair. Um, Dave, so what about your uh, previous experience with this movie? Well, my previous experience was starting to watch it on Wednesday night, getting frustrated because it's like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> Stopping and then finishing it on Thursday night and not feeling any less frustrated. But <laughs> I was excited to do a movie. That I, cause I see a lot of movies I had never seen before, and I was wrong to be excited. <laughs> uh, what about you, LBJ? 
<laughs> well, I own this movie now. <laughs> I bought it for two dollars. <laughs> I don't know if that's worth that much. Uh, yeah, this is the first time I've seen it, and like, yeah, your turn. Um, yeah, I I knew this movie existed. I you know, and it's one of those. I remember like when it came out. Like I remember the trailers and stuff for it. So like. I had never seen it, but I, I knew that it was a thing, and I and I thought it was you know it's kind of a weird anomaly, and, and I don't know we just kind of talked about it and being like oh, it'd probably be fun to watch you know because it's like it's such a ridiculous thing, but I mean we were all apparently wrong, but I don't know let's get into it a little more. Uh, okay, well, so let's, half hold on, hold on, I want to back up a little. Let's take a look at this poster. So the the so the poster here, like, <clears throat> excuse me, this movie. Is such a clear ripoff of the Fast and the Furious poster. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, Ja Rule is like, well, if I'm too much money for them to put in Fast and Furious, I'm going to make my own movie. And I'm going to make sure everything visually advertised about it is just like Fast and Furious. Because you know what? F them. They're even car, they're even car thieves. Like, there's no reason for their like crime syndicate to be car thieves in this at all. I would say it almost is a detriment to the movie that the big criminal enterprise is car a car thief ring. Like, well, if they well, were like Rule, truck runners or gun runners or something, it make more sense. Yeah. The thing like, is, John Rule is that he had a small role in the first Fast and Furious, and when Vin Diesel backed out of the second one, Too Fast, Too Furious. They initially approached Ja Rule to basically play the role that Tyrese ended up playing. But I don't know if he did this instead, but after he said after talking with Vin Diesel, he decided it wasn't right for his career. So, I don't know. Wait, here's a question I want to pose before we get too far into this. Do you think this movie was designed as a Ja Rule vehicle and they brought Steven Seagal in? Or vice versa, where they're like, we're going to make this Steven Seagal movie and then bring Ja Rule in? Which one do you think it was designed for? <laughs> I feel okay. I'm sorry. I feel that it was supposed to be kind of like a follow up to Exit Wounds, but DMX hated hated Steven Seagal so <laughs> much that he was like, "No," and that's when Job Rule came in. That's my theory. Yep. And, and and Dave took my talking point there because I a thousand percent agree with that. Uh, that this was supposed to be in some not not connected universe, but kind of a hey, we're gonna get you know three Steven Seagal movies, evidenced by the fact that DMX still has like the primary song on the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I and I don't remember the numbers on it, LBJ, but I think Exit Wounds was a somewhat successful movie. Like, I don't think it was a bomb. I don't remember. Like, it wasn't like a blockbuster, but I think it was a mild success. So I could see yeah. that they were like, I could see that they were like, and I don't remember the exact year that Exit Wounds came out, but I, I mean, it was probably only a couple before this. So I could see them maybe wanting to capitalize on that success. And they were like, well, the formula worked before. We'll just take Steven Seagal and put like uh, a rapper turned actor in the movie with them and maybe it'll work. Well, they did that a lot in this in the early late late nineties, early two thousands. It would be like, you know, an action star mixed with like a rapper or an athlete. Like you had uh, Jean Claude Van Damme and um, Dennis Rodman in a movie together. You had, <laughs> double team. Yeah, you had double team. You had you know this movie. You had Exit Wounds. You had like uh, what do we do? The the, the movie with um. Jet Li and uh, 
he was he and DMX were in a movie together. Yeah. You know, it, <clears throat> that was just they just were pumping these films out for whatever reason. I don't know why. None of them are any good. Um, well, and that's I mean that's just how movies work. If something if a formula is successful, you're going to get a ton of copies of it, and they're going to be worse and worse and worse and worse. And I feel like this is probably the end of that. <laughs> Well, not so fast because there is a half past dead too. There is. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Goldberg and uh, Twitch. Yeah, Although, corrupt. C- corrupt, sorry. Corrupt. Which, by the way, when, when uh, Corndog was selling this movie to me, he's like, yeah, corrupt's in it. I'm like, that doesn't mean anything to he me. He was on the Death Row record label, I feel like, for a while. Was he part of the dog pound? He was. Okay. <laughs> oh, um, okay. Not fully understanding serves, what the dog count was. He basically just serves as a discount Dave Chappelle in this movie. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> um, okay. So release date on uh, Half Past Dead is November fifteenth of two thousand two. Um, budget, I saw it as twenty five million, but uh, there was some discrepancies. Some people said it was less than that, closer to fifteen million. But let's just say twenty five million. Domestic gross fifteen million dollars. Uh oh, and here's where the big surprise is. Usually, you think like, "Oh, probably made a lot of money overseas." No, worldwide gross is nineteen million. So, so it only made four million dollars overseas. Now, this is one of my favorite things I found while researching this: the Rotten Tomatoes score, because this is a new last action podcast record for lowest Rotten Tomatoes score <laughs> ever at. Three percent. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and that is overly generous, in my opinion. And uh, this is the real, uh, another really telling part. The audience score is thirty-seven percent. So, so not even, not even audiences like this at all. Uh, but yeah, I was like three percent. That's that's by far, I think, the lowest. I, we definitely have not had something in single digits, I don't think, as far as Rotten Tomatoes is concerned. Um, and then as far as the top grossing movies of 2002, uh, you have uh, the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man, number one. Uh, you have uh, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, number two. And number three is Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Um, other movies that we have covered that came out that year, uh, number 12, uh, Die Another Day, <laughs> the, the, the great uh, last Pierce Brosnan James Bond movie, um, and number 21, The Born Identity. This film that we're covering, half Past Dead, came in 123rd for the year, which is the, which is the farthest I've ever had to scroll down on the list to find a movie <laughs> when seeing how it placed in the box office. Okay. <laughs> so... Cast on this movie, we've discussed some of it already. Uh, Steven Seagal playing Sasha Petrovich, which is like, <laughs> why is that his name in this? I'm why pretty sure he insisted on being Russian. I, I don't know the. He's got this thing <laughs> with Russia where he has like, he has like, it's not citizenship, but it's like honorary citizenship in Russia. And he's yeah, friends he's with like, Putin. He's like Mickey Burke. He's boys with Putin. Yeah. And it's also like he's got this other weird thing where he can never he can never be a Jewish guy from Lansing, which is what he is. He always <laughs> has to be like an Italian guy or and with a weird name. Like I know his name's Nico in one movie and he's Casey 
in uh, under siege. You yep. can't have a man's name. It won't name is strictly a man. So, but just also, it's weird. He never wants to play like anything that's not a little different. Yeah, and, and, and this for the record, this is also the last theatrically released movie he's had. Which is which is until there was there is one more after this, but. One yeah, it was machete, but he was almost kind of playing a self-parodying uh, part. But you know what? My my research, I found out he was an absolute pain in the ass on set of this movie. They had four body doubles in with him, and he would halt shooting due to his uh, his spiritual coach would say his chi was low, and he would halt production. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> his four body doubles for him. They said that he brought a Buddhist spiritual advisor everywhere with him, and like if he thought that the his karma was off, like that was enough to like stop production. For the whole day, just like oh boy, so you can kind of believe that that's why this is his last theatrical movie. <laughs> but I feel like he still makes straight to DVD movies, right? Or oh, he's made a, a ton video a, on demand. Oh yeah, oh yeah, he's made a, a ton of straight to uh, did you the garbage can films? Did, did you say he's made a ton or gained a ton? <laughs> oh, he's both. a fat man, and both? he's a kind of like. When someone's that tall and that fat, it's an accomplishment. He's like six four <laughs> yeah. and still really fat. And what's crazy yeah. is he still trains like he helps UFC fighters train, which is bananas. <laughs> I, I, Joe Rogan has a theory on that: is that he comes in and they're all like, "Oh, we like your movies," and like Anderson Silva is too nice of a guy to they say like, "Well, he's not really training me." <laughs> um, okay, so Steven Seagal is playing Sasha Petrovich. Uh, Morris Chestnut is playing the the main villain, playing Donald Robert Johnson slash 49er1. Uh, ja Rule, as we discussed, playing Nicholas Nick Frazier. Uh, and uh, Nina Peoples. Nina Peoples. What's the name? Nina Peoples, which is a name I recognize, but I couldn't tell you why, is playing 49er6. Uh, and then, as we mentioned, Corrupt. <laughs> Playing Twitch. Uh, those were probably the only people I picked out. Uh, LBJ, yep. you kind of who who do you got for me? LBJ? Well, I'll start low on the list. You got Monique as Twitch's girl. <laughs> right. Cameo. Uh, you got oh Tony Plana, who's the warden. He is. He's been in a ton of different things, but uh, he is Hefe in the Three Amigos. Whoa! <laughs> I don't even. Whoa. That's a deep pull. That's a really I don't cool. even know what that. I don't even know what that character is. I know that's a movie, though. Yeah, uh, he, uh, he's the he's like the head of the Mexican village they go to, where they all think that the three amigos are real, like actual, like uh, like like folk heroes. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but okay. Uh, we have the other one I'm going to mention is so Frank Hubbard. He is. So you know in the beginning, Morris Chestnut's boss, the head of the FBI? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's Stephen J. Cannell, or Cannell. Yeah. He created the A-Team, 21 Jump Street. He created uh, The Greatest American Hero, Rockford Files, The Commish. He he created all of these like classic TV shows, and he's also an actor. Uh, I'm yeah, like, I'm like here. I recognize that guy, and luckily I had um, X-ray on my my rental. Mm-hmm. Luckily I don't own it like you. <laughs> but, <laughs> like yeah, and I'm like, wait, that's Steven J. Why is he in this? You know? Oh, and Joe. Did, they, did they ever say like, hey, could you maybe like? He's like, hey guys, do you want me to punch up the script a little bit? They're like, no, nah, <laughs> we got it. He also created your favorite Joe show, uh, your favorite show, Joe Silk Stockings. 
I'm going to add one more to this casting list, too, is uh, Michael Talaferro, who plays Lil' Joe, uh, is also from The Replacements. Uh, he was he one is. of the scab linemen, and uh, I believe he was one of the carjackers in the original Bad Boys movie. <laughs> okay. Wow. All right. Um, okay. So let's let's do, uh, now that we discussed the cast, let's do some net worth real quick. Um Let's start with Nia Peoples. Uh, what do you guys think for Nia Peoples? Uh, LPJ? Two. Uh, Cordog? I think that's a pretty good guess. I'll, I'll take the over and say two and a half. Uh, Dave? Like you, I wasn't sure who she was, so I looked her up, and I think she might have married Rich. So I'm going to go ten. Uh, uh, three million for Nia Peoples. Oh. So you guys are right there. Uh, what about Corrupt? What do you think for Corrupt? Let's start with Dave. Yeah. Corrupt. Uh, it can't be that much. Um, Rappers are tricky because they two. either have a lot of money or they've blown all their money. There's no, <laughs> yeah, there's like no in between. Two million. Okay. Uh, Cordon? Uh He's done a lot of voiceover work as far as I know for like video games. So I'm going to say four million. Okay. LBJ. You know what? Just to, just to, to, to act my theory, less than a million. You know what? That's right, five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, <laughs> I told you. <ya. laughs> uh, okay, uh, Corn Dog. What do you think for Morris Chestnut? Now this uh, this one's tricky too. I, I'm gonna. Say, he's been in a lot of stuff. Uh, I'm gonna say ten. Okay, uh, Dave. Yeah, he's a consistently working actor, so I'm gonna say ten as well. Yep. I, uh, I, he's definitely well respected. I'm gonna go twelve million. Uh, it's actually only six million for oh. Morris Chestnut. Uh, all right, two more for you. The the stars of the movie Ja Rule. What do you think, LBJ, for Ja Rule? See again, this is tricky because it's hard to say with him. Um, you know what? I'm going to give Ja Rule the benefit of the doubt, and I'm going to say twenty five. Yes. Or not? Well, well, he had all the legal trouble with the Fire Island thing. And, oh, I uh, forgot about that. Oh, no. I'm going to play the way under here, and I'm going to say less than a million. Okay. Dave? I'm going to say like DMX. He's in the negative. Uh, no, he's not actually. He's he's at four million. So uh, hmm. he's doing he's doing okay. But yeah. Uh, and then finally, uh, Steven Seagal. What do you think for Steven Seagal, Dave? I mean, I those straight to video. They they probably pay a couple million a pop, and he makes so many of them. So I am going to say he is worth forty million. Okay, uh, LBJ ten. All right, uh, Cordon. I'm gonna go somewhere in the middle here and say fifteen. That is extremely close. He is worth sixteen million dollars. So there you go. Um, okay. This next thing was the, probably the most fascinating thing I found while looking into this. The director of this movie, Don Michael Paul. Quote, unquote. Paul, also the writer of this movie. So this was his complete vision. I always love when we got the, the, the complete auteur. Is that how you say it, Dave? Yes. Okay. So did you guys happen to look and see what some of the other things this guy directed are? Cause it's I did not. Ban- yes. It's, ban- it's oh, bananas. Yeah. This guy, oh, let me let me go through some of the stuff this guy's directed. Besides this movie, Jarhead Two. Did you know they made a sequel to Jarhead? They did. He directed it. Did you know they made another sequel to Jarhead called Jarhead: Law of Return? 
this guy directed as well. He also directed two sequels to the Sniper franchise, Sniper Legacy and Sniper Ghost Shooter. He also directed <laughs> he also directed Tremors 5 and Tremors A Cold Day in Hell, also Kindergarten Cop 2, uh, Death, Death Race 4, uh, The Scorpion King, Book of Souls, and then something I didn't even know exists, Bulletproof 2, which I believe is a sequel to that Adam Sandler, like, Damon Wayans movie. Oh, my God. Good Lord. Yeah. So this this guy, it's like he directs apparently just sequels to movies that you didn't know exist. I was just completely... straight to DVD movies. Yeah. I was so blown away looking at it. I was like, what is happening? But um, and then even a little more confusing to me, the composer on this is uh, Tyler Bates. He's done a lot of things. He's done a lot of things that we've covered on this podcast. Yeah. LBJ. Tyler, Tyler like, Bates is the uh, former lead guitar of Marilyn Manson. He did. He's done like the John Wick movies, yep. the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Like he's done 117 things. He's done the music. So this is a pretty. This was this was early on though in his career. This yeah, was that's prior that's to because he really got his big start doing stuff like 300 and Dawn oh, of the yeah. Dead. Oh yeah, I forgot he did 300 too. Yeah, so it, it was after that is when he really started to get big. This was kind of his early stuff. Okay. And I, I don't remember the, the score of this being particularly memorable or anything. So it was honestly, it was uh, a Fast and Furious knockoff. <laughs> right. Okay. Taglines. I, I, I got the taglines for this. Uh, there's a couple. First one, the good, the bad, and the deadly. Oh. Yeah. Next one, fully armed, totally outnumbered, completely unexpected. What? So, yeah. Also, this the last one is the worst. Seagal rocks the rock. Oh <laughs> my god! <laughs> it sounds like a it sounds like a really bad fanfic like porno. <laughs> oh god, no! <laughs> Dave's like, I, I would check that out. Um, He's like, oh, I'm they like- stole my idea. <laughs> well, I mean. You wouldn't have to go very far from this movie to see a love story between two men, because that actually <laughs> exists within this film. That, and that's your general thesis about this movie, Dave, right? Is that it's a, oh, yeah. a love story between Steven Seagal and Ja Rule? Like, this is a as an action movie, it's shit, but as a beautiful love story between two <laughs> men from different worlds, it is inspiring. Because the looks between... They, they share... There is like Leo and Kate chemistry there. Like just when they look like when they're having that, that awful scene in the car where he's explaining how you say I instead of all right, the way they're looking back, there's electricity there. And I think it might be too early to say, if I'm just kidding, the, like the last thing Steven Seagal says to him is how fast can you get out of those clothes? <laughs> I guess I was thinking about he might, he might be onto something. Yeah, like basically, like there's that scene when Ja Rule finds out he's undercover, and that's like the scene where Catherine Heigl gets mad at Gerard Butler or James Marston or whoever, and then and also they came back together really quickly in this without well, any do, work from Steven Seagal. Do, do you think it was maybe Slim Pickings in a prison that housed about a dozen inmates? <laughs> yeah, but there was a surprising number of women in that in that prison. <laughs> Okay, we're we're jumping ahead. Let's yeah. let's get let's get into the plot. We can we can dig into or the plot in, in quotes here. Uh, we can dig into some of the stuff a little more. So, uh, movie opens up with uh, with the Ja Rule song. Surprisingly, nice bold choice for this movie. Um, ja Rule 
they're busting into Steven Seagal's house. Uh, he's with this like Eastern European gangster named Sonny. Uh, and they think that maybe Steven Seagal is like, ah, I don't trust this guy. So they like have like a mini polygraph test that they give him. They're like, they ask him all these questions and he like passes it. And then it's like, oh, so these guys are like drug runners. It's like, no, they're car thieves, right? So Steven Seagal is boosting cars for this guy. Um, and, and, and like, then we get a vague reference to like, oh, something happened to Steven Seagal's wife and he's not quite over it, but we, he's still wearing his wedding ring. Whatever, comes up later. Cut to them stealing a car. The first shot of them stealing his car, they're like, have so much air. <laughs> and they seemingly, like, they didn't drive off a ramp or anything. They were just, like, flying through the yeah, air. Yeah, and I'm like, it's kind of jump cut throughout the opening credits still at this point. Like, Yeah. It's like, they're, like they're, this car is so much air. It's like the General Lee. Um, so, like, like Dave said, you get that, like, scene where they're talking about how to say I and stuff like that and kind of establishing their friendship. Uh, and, like, one of the playful things they do is, like, he turns the car really fast and Ja Rule <laughs> flies out of the passenger. It was insane. Yeah. Like, that would kill you. The, okay, so. He's laughing like, oh, that's just He doesn't just fly out. He, so. The door magically opens. He's not wearing a seatbelt. He goes flying into the windshield of another car and then yeah. rolls off the hood. Yeah, in the chop shop. And then he pops back up and he's, oh, dang. Like, it's like, it's like oh, you, you got me good, jerk. You know, that's the kind of the vibe you got from it. It's so stupid. Yeah. It's really also, dumb. Jeff Rue Jeff- Jeff- is tiny. Yeah. It's. Yeah, he's really tiny. And it's really. Because, like we said, for all. Everything about Steven Skull, he is a tall giant man so it's really kind of weird to see them like paired up but uh also i have a note here where it's like why does steven seagal wear like a full suit to rob the steel cars <laughs> like because he's they, fat they, seems very impractical they both wear they, suits actually yeah. they just busted this car or boosted this car and they're both wearing uh suits so it's very strange uh oh go ahead somebody they put a lot they put a lot of black clothing on Steven Seagal at all times because he's fat and they're trying to hide it. Okay, that makes sense. And he's uh, bald, so the, which is why he's always wearing a do-rag. Yeah. <laughs> so the FBI shows up to the chop shop. Uh, they're surrounded, but still Ja Rule, that slow motion thing where he pulls out two pistols because apparently he's going to go out shooting. And then, like, in a surprising move, the, the lady FBI, is she pulls out two pistols. The, the, the most aggressive federal agent ever, too. She is immediately confrontational. Like, yeah, yeah their negotiation skills are poor. Like, here, uh, the negotiation skills consist of, hey, drop your guns. No? Okay, we're just going to shoot all of you right now. <laughs> oh, you want to you talk about it? No, you talk to these bullets. Like, every FBI agent either has, like, a huge machine gun or, like, two pistols. Yeah. And they're, like, everyone's doing All the mechanics, seemingly just mechanics working at this chop shop, pull out, like, Uzis and their shooting guns. And then, like, I, I don't know if anyone else had trouble with this. I was confused because I'm like, oh, I'm like, okay, Steven Seagal tackles Ja Rule. Right, like, and I was like, okay, he's just getting him out of the way. But then, like, I didn't realize that, like, that's when he gets shot. Like, he gets shot when he's he takes the yeah. bullets from Jar. I feel like that was not conveyed very well in the the way the film is presented. Mind you, I think the credits are still rolling at this point. 
Because because the next part is like he's dead and they're using the paddles to bring him back to life because he got shot. Like, yeah. which is like if you get shot, do you use the paddles on someone if you get shot in the I'm back? Not, like, I'm it, pretty sure you stop the bleeding. And because uh, because if you get shot and your heart stops, it's either because it hits a major organ or you're bleeding to death. Using the paddles <laughs> isn't going to help you. You got to stop the bleeding or repair whatever organ is dead. Uh, and if you get shot through the heart, th- the paddles certainly aren't going to help you. Or you can use a taser to revive someone who's been shot. You're right. A taser <laughs> also works. We see that later. Um, so anyway, so uh, Steven Seagal's back to life. We cut ahead to eight months later, and we're at New Alcatraz. And here's a question for you guys. It's still just the same Alcatraz. Why is it called New Alcatraz? It's not like it's in a um, new location. Or anything like that. They have a fresh coat of paint, and there's like PlayStation in one of the cells. <laughs> and, um, they, I don't know. There's a nice couple glass walls, and yeah, I don't know. Well, we should probably Go also ahead. establish. I had this question in my notes: Is this in the future? <laughs> because there's some things that would be like, like at, you know, one point, like there's like all this like kind of futuristic stuff, but it's like. There's things that would imply that's kind of in the future to me. You well, know? Yeah, the, the, the electric chair rises out of the floor. <laughs> they can change the panoramic backgrounds of whatever you're looking at. Like, I, I feel like this movie, like the obviously the budget wasn't very big, so they're like, well, how can we make this prison seem futuristic, but like on a budget? They're like, so they have to like do things that like, oh yeah, that's kind of futuristic or seems kind of advanced, but it's not really. It's just like a video screen and a chair that rises out of the ground. And they're like, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Both the prison and the movie spent all their budget on stuff rising out of the floor. Because <laughs> it happens a lot. <laughs> it's true. It really does. Like, there seem to be, like, like passages underground and just, like, the weirdest spots in the prison. Like, why Why in the middle of the cell block is there just, like, a place to go down into, like, tunnels? <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know. Okay. So Ja Rule and Stephen Seagal are both there. Uh, ja Rule surprised because he thought Stephen Seagal was dead. He's not. Uh, I do have a note that says, why is Stephen Seagal wearing that thing on his head? But now I know because... Because it's um, bald. Um, so anyways, so Stephen Seagal, he gets, he gets in a fight with a guard. I can't even remember why. That's where he has that very clever line where the guy... What's the guy say to him? And the guy he's says, like, oh, you like to play rough, huh? And he, no, I don't like men. He's like, sorry, I'm not into men. And it's like, come on, really? Yeah. Is that oh, what we're at with there's, there's, Well, back in 2002, yes. Yeah, uh, okay. Yeah, this movie's very homophobic. Yes. For a movie that has a lot of chemistry between two men. Oh, yeah. It's just like, I think maybe that amplifies it because they're like, wait, we have to you know, we have to throw them off the scent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, uh, before we get too far into this, uh, Kordak, what... If you had to say, what do you think Ja Rule, what was he in prison for? Well, I think the opening scene implies it's a Grand Theft Auto, but if I had to guess, Joe, I would say it's for Smurda. <laughs> wow. Uh, we did it, everyone. We did it. Uh, okay. So Ja Rule jumps in and starts helping him out with the fight. None of Ja Rule's fighting in this movie, believe it or not, was convincing to me. Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah? You don't say? The tiny, skinny... <laughs> Yeah, that that scene where they, like you said, underneath the cell block, it, it really felt like a ripoff of the Wolverine and Mystique fight from the original <laughs> X-Men. It's a tight oh. corridor, and he's getting yeah. a roundhouse kicked by a woman. Like, it was... 
Yeah, it's it's not great. So then the warden shows up, and I have a lot of thoughts about the warden in this movie. <laughs> he's wearing a leather jacket like he's Fonzie. Um, he's always, like, just casually slipping into Spanish, like, saying, like, phrases in Spanish. And, like, he's I don't understand, like, w- like I feel like there's supposed to be some kind of backstory to this guy that we, like, never get. Now, I think we're supposed to get that he was either, like, a gang member, he's seen some things, like, kind of been in the prison system a while, but, like, like you said, he walks around in a leather jacket and just kind of, <laughs> yeah. like, you're well, in my gives, house now. He gives a little bit of his backstory that, like, he he essentially like climbed the ranks of prison guards starting in Mexico and then like <laughs> moving up into the United States and like developed this reputation as you know the bad boy of of prison wardens and so they put him here in New Alcatraz because he's the baddest motherfucker that to to ever warden a prison so that's why they have him here well, it's hard and to mention that his name is Warden El Fuego, which is the fire. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it's hard to buy him as a real hard ass when he's giving the prisoners, you know, a PlayStation with Hollywood <laughs> golf, and then letting them introducing the only two prisoners that get a backstory playing video games and painting a mural on the yeah. wall. Oh, he's supposed oh, to be, right. He's supposed to be tough but fair. That's what it is. So all the prisoners right. love him. I forgot when they introduced corrupt, he's hanging from a rope from the ceiling, painting a mural or something on the wall. Well, he's the Pam of this office. <laughs> also, did anyone else notice that there's not like a single pair of handcuffs or restraints in this movie? Like everyone's just walking around, even the death row inmates, you know, <laughs> walking around. Just yeah, we trust them. We're, we give them playstations and windows that change into different views so they're gonna be cool that was the other weird thing like the death row inmate in this that we're gonna he'll be a major part in the story they treat him essentially like a celebrity like he's like even though even the prison staff does (laughs) (laughs) um so and this is like and we've talked about the budget but it's clear that they only had the money for the one cell block because, like, their explanation for it is very weird, too, because it's like, well, we're still building the cell block, so you, the prisoners, are going to help build it, and you're still, like, I, it was, like, a very weird thing that I felt like you were doing just, like, kind of, like, gymnastics to explain why they only featured one cell block in this movie, right? Well, because it wasn't what? filmed in Alcatraz. It was filmed in a ex-Stasi, that's the German secret police, um, prison in Germany, and in fact, because the the uh, writer director was friends with Michael Bay, a lot of the aerial shots were actually taken from stock footage from the movie The Rock. Yeah, <laughs> and some of the footage was from uh, Navy Seals. Navy yeah, from Seals, parachuting. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, so that's like like LPJ said. We're introduced to Lester McKenna, who's the guy that's on death row. Uh, they're gonna execute him at midnight. Um, his like big thing is that like he robbed this. Tre- treasury train and he stole a bunch of gold but then he hid the gold but he won't tell anyone where the gold is and like in the process oh go ahead no no go ahead i was gonna say in the process of robbing the train like five federal agents got killed so that's why he's on death row but i just i guess i just never understood like why wouldn't he just tell him where the gold is like what was his what was the whole thing about him like withholding that knowledge and taking it to the grave just as an F you to them. But the other question is why do they care so much? Like (laughs) they're sending essentially the plot of this is you find out that Sasha, Steven Seagal 
is an is an undercover FBI agent. <laughs> Why they ha- it's very contrived, but essentially he's going to the prison so he can find out where this gold is as an undercover FBI agent. But that's is not he though? That is, that's not my interpretation of this. That's not my understanding of either. No, that's not what I, think. I, I believe yeah. my interpretation is that he was in there to keep working on job ja rule and just yes, coincidence that he's there. No, no, and no, 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 no. I want to meet him. Uh, no, I see. <laughs> I think you're wrong on this. I think, I think there's two yeah, parts. Like, to it. Wrong, I think we're. I think we're both right because you have. You're right. They want to catch Ja Rule's boss, right? Sunny. Sunny. But at the same time, the reason why he's transferred to that prison is because the death row inmate heard about him be, being half past dead and wanting to talk to him. So they think that Steven Seagal can get close to the death row inmate to get him to tell them. Um, where the gold is. I think there's a possibility that we're both right and we're both wrong, and the writers <laughs> of this movie just created a jumble, jumbled mess where kind of those made, at one point they were thinking one thing, and at a later point they wrote another thing. Yeah, you know I, what? You're I, probably yeah, right. Okay. I'm going to give you the nod on this one, Dave, because yeah. that makes the most sense. Yep. <laughs> so, um, also, I skipped over the part where they were having like a press conference about New Alcatraz, kind of explaining it. And, like, one of the main features is, like, its execution room. It has all five different ways you can, like, execute a prisoner, and the prisoner gets to pick which way they want to get executed. But all I remember is the electric chair, the gas chamber, and lethal injection. What are the other two? Does anyone remember? Yeah, there's hanging. Hanging and firing squad. Yeah. Oh, God. Can you imagine being like, I think I want to be hung. Like, I don't think that would be the way you would go. Or the firing squad. So are you saying you don't want to be hung? (laughs) If I had to pick. Um, so like this is, and this is where it gets confusing to me. So they're giving this press conference. Is the press conference not on new Alcatraz? Uh, it appears to be on new Alcatraz. It appears to be there on new Alcatraz and everybody's all up in arms because they're opening it back up. Yes. And here's the confusing part. So they're having this press conference on new Alcatraz. Morris Chestnut is there. He speaks to the crowd. Then we come to the next scene and it's like the guys parachuting out of the plane onto Alcatraz, and one of them is Morse Chestnut. So why was he parachuting onto the island if he was already there giving the press conference? What is he? Yeah. Like, what is and his they job? He's the backup to the, the one guy, but it, it's not until he calls the FBI that you're like, you hear in his backstory, oh, he was in Desert Storm, he was a soldier. Like, until then, you're like, who the hell is this guy? Is he a bureaucrat or is he a government official? Like, he, he doesn't use his position as assistant, like to help him get. It's just like he still makes like a brute force attack. So it doesn't even make like he's not like the man on the inside. He's just like nope. Like he comes in with the rest of them. He doesn't even like yeah. open the door for them. Right. There's there's no point in having him be connected to like the prison system or anything like that because he doesn't. I mean, other than maybe his knowledge that. Uh, that Lester is at that prison, but everyone seems to know that because one of the things you didn't mention is that a Supreme Court justice shows up at New Alcatraz Why? Why? to witness <laughs> his execution because apparently she was the one that sentenced him to die, so she felt like she had needed to go and witness this happening. I just, what, why? Because she feels <laughs> bad? I mean, I don't. So there could be that creepy scene where Morris Chestnut gets all sexual with her. I, I, that, like, we'll get to that in a second. That is the, I mean, like, I didn't, 
But that's the scene that really turned me against this movie, to be honest with you. Like, that scene is gross, but we'll get yeah. to it in a second. So anyways, so they start parachuting onto the island. Uh, Lester wants to meet with Steven Seagal because, like LPJ said, he heard that he had died and was half past dead. And he's like, oh, what's it like when you die and all this stuff? Um, and that's, that's when we're like... You see the execution chamber, and he's like, I'm kind of sick of looking at the city lights. Maybe switch it to, like, a desert setting, and it's, like, a big screen, and they're like, okay, you got it, and they switch it. It's so weird. It's so dumb. But, again, I think it was just like, well, how can we make this seem, like, technologically advanced on a budget? So that was one of the things they came up with, I guess. Um, okay, so the Brad guys break in. They're just, like, killing all the guards. They're, like, shooting everyone. I think it's very confusing. They set the prisoners free or the prisoners get out, but then they go back in their cell. I couldn't quite figure out what was going on with that part of it. Oh, so they flash the guns at them and they kind of duck back into their cells. Oh, yeah, that's that's what it was. Okay. Um, also, um, this is I, I, we kind of glossed over this, and I feel like they gloss over in the movie, but I have this in my notes. They said that Steven Seagal was dead for 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like, it's, not like, it's not like, oh, you were dead for five. He was dead for 20 minutes before he came back to life. Like, no way. Okay, that's insane. I'm sorry, but okay. Okay, so Morris Chestnut, he's there. He wants to get, get Lester because he wants to find out where the gold is. Um, uh, they also say that he's been on death row for 17 years. Are you? Is that like... I don't know much about death row, but it's is that possible, like... Yeah, it's, it's pretty common that the between appeals and all that stuff, yeah, there's a lot of them are. Okay, so and there's a lot of witnesses to this execution, um, and, and more than you would think would probably be, like, given that this is, like, Alcatraz, an island in the middle. <laughs> like, there's a lot of people there to witness this execution besides just the... Um, Supreme Court Justice. Supreme Court Justice. Supreme Court Justice, yeah. Yeah. So uh, then we, so the the bad guys they like um, they climb down from like a rope in the ceiling. So we get this scene where all the prisoners are like trying to like climb up the rope and like it's like gym class, yeah. <laughs> and like and one of them falls, and they're all having like a really good laugh about it. But that dude probably broke his back. <laughs> <laughs> so um, okay, so this is the scene where like they're walking Steven Seagal back to the cell block and this is where, like, the bad guys show up and they shoot the guard that he got in the fight with, and that's when, like, Dave talked about earlier, he brings him back to life with, like, the shock stick. <laughs> Even though, like, he got shot in the chest, like, three times, he brings him back to life by, like, <laughs> Yeah, and the guard totally, seems he, totally he, fine. He, yeah, he brought him alive enough to, like, activate the hand scan, but then you'd see him in the infirmary laying there. We don't know if he's alive or dead. I think he ended up dying, because I think the next time they show him, he's, like, dead on the table. So oh, he maybe, did yeah. Just... So, um... I mean, if that's, that's the case, of... why didn't he just drag him over there? What's he need his hand for? Like, what, is he, well, he, what does he need to be alive He has a voice It was, uh, it was voice that Oh, that's too. right, that's right, that's right. Um, okay. So uh, this is where, like, Morris Chestnut kind of, like, gives more of his, like, plan and is like, oh, you know, he's like, well, Lester's kind of like, I don't care if you kill me, I'm going to die anyways. He's like, oh, yeah, what about this? And he, like, shoots the priest that is there, like, to preside over the uh, execution. And I'm like, what? (laughs) You just shot a priest? Um, That's pretty intense. Um, uh, They come back to the prisoners who are, like, playing basketball in the cell block. I don't know if you guys caught that, but they're, like, pulling a basketball around. And I'm like, oh, boy. Um, that's when we get, like, the fight scene with Steven Seagal in the infirmary, where it's, like, all the Steven Seagal fight scenes in this movie are terrible, right? Like, yeah. they're really yeah. bad. 
Like, yeah. he's just like, it looks like he's moving in slow motion, kind of. He's not really moving fast, and he kind of just does some blocks and waves his arm around. And at this point, he, like, um, he, like, I don't know how to describe this, but he, like, roundhouse kicks a guy. The guy flies into the wall, into, like, a mirror, and then, like, I think he's dead, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Showing, yeah. Like, I don't understand. Eyes open, like, yeah, he's supposed to be dead. The, the cut on that was, like, he fell backwards into a shelf, and then they, he just falls like he broke his neck. It, it's really bad. <laughs> Well, and then, and that was not definitely the most visually impressive martial art, anyways. No, but when it's done by a guy it. who is just so gross and has crispy Gene Simmons hair and weighs three hundred pounds, it's just even worse. It's just like he's like, come on, he, he did on. not, he did not make that kick. <laughs> that no, was a stunt definitely double. not. It was one of his two stunt doubles that did it. Well, speaking of stunt doubles, the the next fight scene is when. Uh, Ja Rule is fighting Nia Peebles, and it is very clear to me that that was Ja Rule's stunt double. Oh, <laughs> was yeah. Like, that was not like, Ja Rule. I, it's like, I think that was a white guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> really, really bad. And also, like, Ja Rule keeps blowing kisses to Nia Peebles, and I'm like, cut that out. Yeah, yeah. Did, he, did he insist on wearing that, like, beanie rolled down barely over his head? With, like, the cigarette? His, 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 it's really bad when they're fighting. It's the worst. Um, so they strap the Supreme Court justice into the uh, uh, electric chair. Uh, that's when, like, the Supreme Court justice's guards, they, like, take two of the guns, and they're like, ah, we got you. And then Morris Chestnut just, like, shoots his own guys, and they fall to the ground. But it's like, oh. And then he's like, drop the guns, but, like, they're not dead because they're wearing body armor, and then they shoot the guards. And, like, yeah, it's terrible I, dialogue right there, too. <laughs> Isn't this their backup yeah, that's right. plan now? Wasn't their first to leave on that helicopter? Yeah. Yes. That the helicopter crashes because of the bad weather. And that, that like plays like a crucial part in the rest of the movie because it crashes on the top of the cell block and it's kind of like hanging halfway into the ceiling of the cell block. So it comes back into play like a couple of times, which you think it would. <laughs> um, also, I like the fact because Morris Chestnut talks to the FBI. He calls him. And then they're able to find out all the information by, like, so, like, Boris Chesa just called with his own cell phone. <laughs> yeah, that's what Well, he's the, he's the, because uh, if he's the assistant to Stephen J. Kamel, Kennell, he's got to be, like, the assistant director of the FBI or something along those lines. No, but that guy's not part of the FBI. It's he's not, no, he's with the prison system. Yeah. Uh, no, it says right here. Uh, let me pull it up. Sorry, okay. just keep, keep going. Right. Let me see if I can find it. Okay, um, so uh, they um, there's some comedy because like corrupt picks up that rocket launcher and Stevens and calls like yeah here this is how you fire it and he like he fires it and he goes flying backwards and like and that's not how it. that would work at all that's like RPGs do not have that sort of like blowback it just that's not you know that's not like it just wouldn't happen. All right, so he's not technically part of the FBI, but he's the head of the Federal Bureau of Prisons. So okay. basically the people that work with the FBI once they capture the criminals. Okay. I feel like Joe is right. And you're trying to rephrase in the way that makes you sound right. <laughs> well, no, no, we're, we're both. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not right. He's not part of the FBI, but that doesn't mean he wouldn't have a number to call for the FBI. Right. I... <laughs> 
Dave likes your uh, gymnastics to explain. Uh, I, I just think it was weird that, like, whether or not he had the number, like, I feel like he would have called not from his own personal cell phone. Like, well, it didn't usually, seem you know, like he was hiding it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, okay, and that's when we get to the scene with, like, that I really didn't like, where Morris Chestnut's, like, being, like Dave said, very sexual with the Supreme Court justice and, like, touching her face and, like, almost putting his hand on the her chest and stuff and it's really gross and i feel like unnecessary like morris chestnut already shot a priest in this movie we know he's a bad guy we don't need anything else to like enforce that upon us like so i just thought it was unnecessary and just kind of gross. <laughs> can you imagine Ooh, what uh, would happen if this was a rated r movie <laughs> oh, oh my gosh Ooh. i don't even I feel like maybe because like morris chestnut was one of the few good actors in this movie so well, like Let's give him something juicy, but they went way too juicy. Isn't this too probably about an hour into the movie where he Steven Seagal climbs into that helicopter, and this is where we find out he's an FBI agent? Yeah, like, well, not not no not a very it. long way oh, yeah, into the we movie. Don't even know that? Not quite yet. We we're not quite there yet because first the prisoners all get guns, and then like we're not given any like idea what's going on and they like bust into the execution room and they do this rescue and it's like oh you think they rescue a bunch of the hostages but they don't they just get lester out of there and for some reason steven seagal can't get the supreme court justice out of the electric chair um i i don't know why so they have to leave here so they take off uh steven seagal beats up some more uh like lower level bad guys and that's when he has his fight he has this fight with Colin Morris <laughs> swinging in on a chain hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> and they, they honestly have a fight where they're both swinging back and forth on chains. Like, it, it's terrible. This is, this is, like you said, one of the three sets in the movies. But they're like the, they have the one cell block, the execution room, and then this looks like they wandered into like the boiler room from A Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, <laughs> Like, what the hell did they walk into? <laughs> well, because there's also, like, the, the kind of the set of this scene is there's a room with balls of fire shooting all over the place. <laughs> and yet also what? in this same room, they store flammable chemicals. You know, there's like a flammable. So he uses that for a bomb. Also, he decides rather than staying on the catwalk and shooting Moore's chestnut, he should jump on his own chain because that's a way to get a better shot. You know? <laughs> Uh, yeah, the chain fight. That's I was just like, what is happening? And it's really um, the closest thing you get to a mano y mano showdown between the two of them. It's it's really true. It, you're right about that. Um, so that's when like Ja Rule shows up and saves Steven Seagal from this kind of predicament, and like Morris Chestnut gets away. That's when we get the emotional emotional scene between them in the in the helicopter, where he tells them that he's like a. He's like an FBI agent and like it's it's Ja Rule. I mean, like, look, I mean, it's Ja Rule. So he's not the greatest actor, but he is really bad in this scene where he's trying to be all emotional and upset about it. And um, that's when uh, Corrupt tells the the one guy that he looks like a big ass prom queen with the gun. For well, yeah, when they're all arming themselves. And, and did I miss something? Is there a, like a punchline there that made sense to any of you? No, no. <laughs> I don't get the joke he says when he and. Why the prison needs like a mounted fifty cal machine gun that would yeah. be mounted on like an army what, what Why is that armory so stocked with like giant machine guns and stuff? I don't because get it. a real prison armory would probably have maybe shotguns, pistols, and like AR fifteens. They have everything in this one. <laughs> also, so they walk, they blow up, they get into the room, and it does thing this movie has done a couple times. 
and it gives us a little subtitle. It says Armory. It's like thanks. We couldn't have figured that out with the racks yeah, of guns in there. Yeah. Or, yeah, or, or execution chamber with an electric yeah, this, chair in it. You know? Like we said, this movie has like four sets and they're constantly like scrolling things, like telling you where you are, like in the prison. Like we know there's four rooms. Um, okay. So this is, and like, this is a, for some reason, Lester just decides to tell Steven Seagal where he hid the gold. I don't know why he just does. He tells him. He's like, hey, if you're ever, like, at Silver Lake, go here and there. Like, I don't know why he tells him. I don't know if it's justified. I don't know if it makes sense, but he tells him, okay? Um, they're they're, they're, they're going to do an exchange. They're going to exchange the uh, Lester for the Supreme Court justice. So they have this big showdown, uh, like... <laughs> Oh, Dave, hang on, they're in the helicopter now, right? Because him and right. John Rule have kissed and made yeah. up. And, and, and Dave, you're more of our military expert. Is that like targeting helmet thing he wears, like a real thing? No, definitely not 20 years ago. <laughs> no. And, no. Uh, I mean, there's probably a, maybe like a rudimentary version of it. Nothing near the capabilities that has. Also, just everything about it. Like, that scene is just like, well, this whole movie. Like, it's common in a lot of movies, but everyone's always cocking their gun so you get the sound effect. <laughs> You wouldn't need to do that, you know? You don't need to cock most guns. And then, like, or, like, halfway through their standoff, um, Corrupt racks the slide on Zuzi. So that means there was no bullet in the chamber before he did that, you know? It's all so... And then or when he jumps off the catwalk to fire the gun at people. Well, it's don't so forget, dumb. And, Joe, maybe you can deliver this, because the warden tells them, like, hey, thanks, homies, but stand down. Comprende? Yeah, and corrupt yells, Comprende this! And he like jumps down from a pretty high like railing. And then he shooting. Him and and he's the high ground. And then he starts shooting like he's Spider-Man. Because he's on the yeah. ground, crouched down, and he's spraying bullets like Spider-Man shooting webs. It's the stupidest thing. And you know, uh John rolls in the helicopter letting it fly. Yeah, because basically they basically the heli- helicopter has a gun, and he's wearing a helmet that has, like, a targeting thing. And he's like, yeah, it's like a video game. Just point where you want it, and the gun will shoot. <laughs> because so Steven Seagal knows exactly what this thing is capable of. Oh, and also, oh, so the, the, the fat the fat guy, what's his name, Lil Joe? Oh, Lil Joe does not get out of the way. Oh, I yeah, thought you meant Steven Seagal. <laughs> so little, little Joe gets killed. Um, I think it's supposed to be, like, some emotional thing. But it's, yeah, it's definitely not. Way not. I, I also like that they pull out two more rocket launchers and they try and fire them at the, the helicopter, but, like, Ja Rule shoots them out of the sky with a gun. Yeah. Problem solved. <laughs> also, um, then the, the, the helicopter, like, crashes, and, like, I'm like, this is the point where I'm like, oh, is Ja Rule dead? Did they just kill off Ja Rule in this movie? They did it, but I thought he was dead for a while. Well, he says yeah. his catchphrase. He says his catchphrase there. He says it, like, two or three times in this movie. What's his catchphrase? It was a nice night to die. <laughs> that's right, he does that's, say that. That's his catchphrase? I think. He does, I mean, he does it, say I it. Like, it was, I think it was what all of us were thinking watching this movie. <laughs> and why is Steven Seagal holding his wrist instead of his hand? Is it to be, like, a little less, you know, like a little less obvious in their love affair? Or uh, I, I don't know. Um, so the FBI shows up. Uh, they catch Nia Peoples. Uh, the warden helps catch Nia Peoples, and like, like she's gonna stab the warden in the back, and the FBI lady's like pulls out her two pistols and is like boom, 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 and shoots her, so she's dead. Um, and then we, that's like we were saying, we find out Ja Rule is not dead. They kind of have an emotional scene, and then it's like, 
the, the end of this movie. God damn it. Okay, so it turns out the Supreme Court Justice, Morris Chestnut still has her, because even though they walked, like, slow motion across the prison, nobody noticed that it wasn't the actual Supreme Court Justice. That it was why does the cell block have, like, a spotlight, like it's a concert? Like, why is that there? I don't know. So they figure out that it's just one of the prisoners disguised as the uh, uh, Supreme no, Court it wasn't Justice. The prisoner, is a it was the reporter. It was one of the hostages. Yeah, oh, the reporter from the beginning. That's what I meant, the hostages. So then there's like, they catch up to him in a, in a helicopter chase. Um, and Morris Chestnut just throws the Supreme Court Justice out of the helicopter. Yeah. Who seems to be their bargaining chip, but it's he throws their bargaining chip. It's their only leverage. And he was. Throws her the whole time, and he just very quickly is like, "Now I'm over this." Throws her out of the helicopter. Steven Skull jumps out after her. <laughs> they start playing that DMX song again that they played at the beginning, and then, like in the weirdest reveal ever, Lester is in the helicopter with Morse Chestnut, opens his shirt to reveal that he's wired to explode with like grenades. <laughs> he pulls out a pin. It blows up the helicopter. But when did they ever set up that that was part of their plan? I, I think they kind of allude to it. It's when they're getting ready to make the exchange where they're dropping the prom queen line in the armory and Lester's buttoning up the shirt and he says, hey, you sure you want to go through with this? And I think that's supposed to be us, the audience, getting like, you sure you want to get traded back to this crazy guy? Yeah. But, but really, it was really like, like God, he's putting on a suicide vest. Yeah. Okay, got it. couple things. So... The helicopters are flying way too high. Like you, know, you would not have open-sided helicopters flying up above the clouds. <laughs> certainly not like you know, because sometimes you know they can get lower, but like certainly not skydiving height. Not Why was Steven Seagal wearing a parachute if he wasn't planning on this the entire time? <laughs> also, so he got the prison would not have explosives, you know. Like, it's bad enough they had M60s and all that stuff, but they, it's like they got explosives strapped to a suicide mask. No, they like, essentially no. they essentially have the uh, the surplus store from Commando, like in their <laughs> in their prison. I mean, not not that it makes it any better, Dave, but I do think it was like I think it was grenades that he had strapped to him. Not that they would have yeah. grenades in the prison, but because he, he, he to, like pull out the pin. Well, what was his plan there? Supposing he didn't throw the Supreme Court justice out of the helicopter, was he still going to blow it up? I think because well, well, if you listen to the conversation he's almost still almost goading him to do it i think that's what the plan was but i don't i i think that that was the plan but i think they didn't know that the supreme court they they thought i think they thought they were going to get the real supreme court justice they were going to take off and then he was going to blow them up i didn't think they really they didn't know they were going to do the switcheroo with the uh, no, supreme no, court justice. i think once they figured out what the switcheroo was that's when they got in the helicopter and that's where they came up with that plan i think Oh no! They no, couldn't. Have, you're right. They've already been wired to blow. You're right. God, this movie. I still don't fully understand where the second one got this movie. This movie is terrible. Well, and I and I think and I think uh, I think Corndog posed this question to me. It's like, how would that other helicopter even catch up to the first one? They're like the same helicopter traveling at the same speed. <laughs> but what, so how do they easily left five ten minutes before it? They could be anywhere, really. But yeah. so how do they catch up to him at all? Like, anyways, okay. Let's 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 just power through the yeah, last let's, like let's couple wrap this up, please. <laughs> so okay, Stephen Skull rescues the Supreme Court judge. Uh, he takes the FBI to where the gold is. 
they get the gold out of the ground. Dave? Not that much gold. I mean, I'm sure it's worth a lot, but certainly not a train load full of gold. <laughs> That's fair. Well, you know, the budget. There's, 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 there's a few breaks. Was, maybe you know, maybe was that like was just the first week. crate. <laughs> yeah, why, why is the Supreme Court justice there when they unearth the gold? I don't know, but she is. Uh, so then, then he goes back to the prison. Job rules still in prison. He comes out. He's all beat up from that helicopter. They have like a emotional heart to heart. And, and I think this is something uh, Corndog and I talked about as well. The passage of time yeah, exactly is, is very important because, because he took him to dig up the gold. He says he's like, oh yeah, by the way, I busted Sonny, who was which I, I just want to throw this in here. We forgot to mention that Stephen Skull's backstory is that. His wife was killed when one of Sonny's carjackers stole their car, but also killed his wife in the process of it. So anyways, he comes back to the prison. Like, who knows? Uh, uh, ja Rule's still, like, in a cast and stuff, so it can't have been that long. But Simon's yeah. has already taken them to the gold and busted the entire, like, criminal empire of Sonny. Well, I mean, if he's in a, if he, you could, you could feasibly be in a cast for, you know, eight weeks, oh, depending eight on weeks, how the yeah. is. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, it looks pretty fresh though when he comes out. I think he's still got scars on his face. Right. Like, that's yeah. It looks like the the passage of time is very fluid yeah. in this. Let me be fair. Well, I don't I, feel like I want to defend any of the decisions this movie made, so I'm going to go with Joe on this. <laughs> okay, that's fair. So, so anyways, like the the what the end of this movie amounts to is that for some reason, even though General is clearly a criminal, like. He's a bad guy. I mean, he's not, like, murdering people. He's still a bad guy. But for some reason, the Supreme Court justice is apparently like, yeah, I just let him out of jail. Which, which, by the way, does she have the power to do? Doesn't that have to be a pardon from, like, the governor or the president? Like, does well, she have the power to do If that? it's federal, it's got to be a pardon, I believe, from the governor, or he's got to win an <laughs> actual appeal. Like, and, and, the, and that's the maybe the funniest part, is even if the passage of time, if we say, is a couple weeks, there's no way that moves that fast. And he certainly tried to kill FBI agents when they raided his place. <laughs> oh, and I actually forgot one of my notes I really wanted to say, is that when Javril is shooting a machine gun, he is holding it so low, he looks like he's holding his dick while trying to pass a kidney stone. And, like, the look <laughs> on his face is like, Rawr! he's got his back all arched. Well, he's, a, he's a little uh. man, so that machine gun is probably a little too much for him to handle. That's true. So anyways, he finds out that he's getting out of jail, and that's when, like you said, the line is like, when? And he's like, how fast can you get out of those clothes? (laughs) And that's the end of the movie, right, Joe? No. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's not the very end, because I'm like, even in my notes, I have written the end, right? No, because we get a post-credit scene, which I was so mad about, and the (laughs) post-credit scene is just corrupt, visiting with his girlfriend in, like, the, the visitation room played by Monique. And they just, like, I'm sure it was just all improv. And I'm like, I just want to stop watching this movie. And it goes on for, like, a couple it of minutes. It goes on for a few minutes, yeah. You forgot to say Oscar winner Monique. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> well, because I true. think it was supposed to be, like, ripping off after, was it Half Past Dead or Exit Wounds, where there's a scene with Anthony Anderson and Tom Arnold at the end. Yes. That's his half this yeah. is happening. Not happy. I mean, um, it's exit. Trail to the grave. Yeah. Yeah. Dare I say that Marvel got the idea for post-credit scenes <laughs> from this movie? No, because there was one at the end of Masters of the Universe. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, Dave, you are right because um, 
uh, 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 the, the exit wounds ends with like a weird improv scene between Anthony Anderson and Tom Arnold that goes on for way too long. So that's yeah, definitely how they prefer big Oprah and stuff. And, you know, yeah, it's, weird. it's very, it's very weird. Um, but finally, when that, when that scene ends, we're finally to the end of this movie and we did it, but man, this one was rough. And I would like to, uh, I've been saving this cause this is one of my favorite things that I saw also this quote from, uh, Roger Ebert about this film. And I think it does a pretty good job of summing it up. He says, half past dead is like an alarm that goes off with nobody in the room. It does its job stops and nobody cares. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, like I think, I think if anything, that's a little too kind to this movie. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, LBJ, you got any role reversals? For no, this? no. <laughs> Nobody wanted to be in this movie. The, the only people that wanted to be in this movie are the people that are in this movie. <laughs> and even I them, mean, I'm not convinced. Even some of them, I, I feel like maybe even Morris Chestnut didn't want to be in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Although I will say this: uh, for as creepy as Morris Chestnut is in this movie, he was actually pretty good in it. I mean, yes, he was probably the, the out of the 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 actors in the role. And the, he did the best job in this movie. I him would and, give you I that. would say between him and Nia Peoples. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, about Nia Nia Peoples. Peoples. I think Nia Peoples only so speaks like four times. Like, too. It's also such a weird, thankless oh, yeah. role. Like, yeah. I'm the stereotypical eye candy female that like seemed to be in a lot of action movies back and, then, you know. And, and and did anybody touch on the cutesy like ha 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 we're forty nine or one through twelve to go and rush and get the gold from we're also in San Francisco too, so yeah. Just that a was... little on the nose, huh guys? Like Yeah. yeah. Gosh. Um yeah. Does anyone have anything else we no. didn't mention, or should we, just, we should just get to the rating on this? Um, yes. No. Yeah. It just I kind of want you know be done with this movie because it's gets scarred in my mind now. All right. Let me hit the rate. Let me hit the rating sign, and then we'll go from there. All right. Okay. Uh, as our guest, you guys can either choose to go first. Or you can make me an LPJ go. What are you guys thinking? So Dave, you, you, wanted to be, you wanted to be done with it, Dave. Go ahead. We'll look yeah, we'll at for... When I finished this movie last night, I texted Joe and Corndog, and I asked, has anyone ever given the movie zero machine guns? <laughs> because, and they're like, no. And Joe's like, no, but you can. And I am going to exercise that right. Because this movie... <laughs> Is awful. It is just there is pretty much nothing redeeming about it. It's just the humor's bad, the action's b- bad, Seagal's lazy. It's just it's terrible. It's like no one should watch this movie. Zero machine guns. All right, uh, I'm gonna be just just slightly more generous, and I'm just trying to go a little more poetic here. The movie's called Half Past Dead. I'm gonna go ahead and give it a half a machine gun. For that reason, uh, touching on several of the reasons Dave just mentioned, but the characters are terrible, the story is shit, the acting is terrible overall, um, there, there's no chemistry uh, other than maybe potentially a romance blossoming, um, but there, there's just nothing with any of these characters. All right, uh, LBJ? Like, you know, I bought this. For only for only two dollars. For only two dollars. I would pay double 
for someone to erase it from my record. <laughs> <laughs> this movie's terrible. Like it's, it, I will say that it's not unwatchable. It's not. It's yeah. not to the level where it's unwatchable, but it's not. It's not good. So I, I'll. I'll give it. I will give it one machine gun for the sole fact that it's a movie that has action in it and fits the profile of this podcast. <laughs> oh, that, that is a, a, a resounding endorsement of this film. I've never heard of one. Um, yeah, I mean, nobody's too far off on this one. This is this is definitely one of the worst movies we've ever watched on the podcast, for sure. Uh, I think the main problem is is that it's not fun. Like, you, you think that a movie, like, oh, it's got Ja Rule and Steven Seagal, it could be kind of, like, it could be kind of fun. It's not fun at all. The action is terrible. Like, it's all, like, seems like they're fighting in slow motion. I thought some of the treatment of women in this movie is just gross and unnecessary, like, especially the stuff with the Supreme Court justice. It's just, it, 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 I never want to see it again. I, I never want to talk about it again. But just because, like LPJ said, it is a movie, and I'll give it half a machine gun. Also, to piggyback off something you said to kind of add to my scorn is kind of a thing is I don't necessarily want people to give royalties to Steven Seagal and Ja Rule because by a lot of accounts, they're not good guys. You know, Ja Rule yeah. helped scam all those people, and Steven Seagal, there's been some a lot of Me Too accusations against them, so it's like, yeah, don't watch this movie, anybody. Yeah, don't, don't, this, I mean, like, this, like, the problem is, it's like, this is even one where it's like, we've done some bad movies, but it's like, you could watch them and get a laugh. This one is not, like, it's not worth watching for the laughs, because it, I mean, like, it's, it's just not, it's not fun watch, it's not fun bad, it's just bad, and it's cheaply made, and there's not, it's not even like, oh, well, the action scenes are pretty good, they're not, they're slow-mo, and it's just bad. And it's not even cheaply made, like... Chuck Norris cheaply made. It's like cheaply made, but expensive. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, they had the money, but of that fifteen to twenty million dollar budget, like seven or eight went to Steven Seagal, two or three went to Job ja Rule. There was a budget, but it just went to like you know a couple the of the actors. things. Yes, yeah. for sure. It's right. it's definitely one of the worst of all time. So congratulations, Clark Dog. <laughs> I, you you know what I'm doing, right? You know I'm going to keep shooting for that absolute low mark. <laughs> what if we just tell you? You've this got is the it worst? at this point. Yeah, you're there. Trust me, you're there. Right now, this is yeah. The, this is it. This is the, the lowest it's been. It, it's funny because I've kind of said like I wanted to come back on and like because the two movies I did previously, those are both you know decent movies. I, I probably remembered more fondly, you know. For nostalgia, but like I want, I want to do a classic of the genre of you guys someday. And then my next time on was this. Yeah, like I want to do like Gunga Din or like you know like the Dirty Dozen. But then it's like no, nope, you know. One of these yeah. days we'll get get you on for a good movie, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. Well, do you either of you have anything that you would like to plug? Uh, as we always ask our guests as we we wrap it up here. I mean, I'm going to continue with the ongoing feud between corn nuts and combos and just let you know that combos reign supreme. I agree with you 100%. Yeah, no, combos. No, one here, no one here likes corn nuts. <laughs> yeah. No one does. Corn nuts are garbage. Corn nuts, I, I corn nuts you know what? have two flavors. One of them would be Steven Seagal, the other would be Job Rule. Those are like corn nuts. 
are the, the stars of this movie no, of snack food. corn nuts are the half-past dead of snack food. That's true. Listen, yeah. listen, he won't listen to this, but JB, remember how much he liked corn nuts when he tried them? He was like, these are really good, and he ate like a whole bag of them. Combos all the way. Yeah. Uh, um, but yes, uh, speaking of plugs, uh, as you know, we are the Last Action Podcast. Uh, we come to you every Monday. Um, we are part of the GameZilla Media Network, uh, which includes uh, the GameZilla Media show itself, GameZilla show, which is streaming live on Mondays and comes out as a podcast on Tuesdays. I can't, uh, I can't figure out if you're telling us or asking us. <laughs> I, I can see the weird look you were giving me, and I'm like, oh, geez, oh boy, here it comes. This is why I don't like to be part of the show. Um, so it comes out as a podcast on Tuesdays. Uh, Wednesdays, if you're not sick of LBJ like I am getting right now, you can uh, you can listen to him on uh, Noobs and Dragons with uh, Craig WK and uh, Matrix on Stage. Uh, and w- what's that all about, LBJ? Oh, we're playing Dungeons and Dragons, and it's pretty great. Like right now, so we finished our uh, finished our intermission uh, season intermission episodes with me as uh, Sphinx's fairy, favorite character, JCPP. Uh, I play a character named Jean-Claude Pierre-Paul, who is not even loosely based. He is solely based on Jean-Claude Van Damme. And I, I do the voice. I uh, say, hello, my friends. I am uh, JCPP, and uh, I'm a gladiator. I get hit in the head a lot, and I do the splits. And, uh, do you show your butt? I do. I show my butt uh, whenever I have the opportunity to. But it is a uh, it is a podcast, and so the only people that can see it are uh, Sphinx, and, uh, and he's not very happy with me right now. He left the show for a little while, as a matter of fact, and uh, he did not come back for a long time, and uh, we were, all, be- we were right, all better for it. I can tell you right now, no one's happy with you right now here on this show either. So. <laughs> I surprisingly am. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't mind you should go back and uh, listen to the show, because uh, it's a lot of me doing this, and uh, a lot of Sphinx going, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Do you? Do you? Uh, I gotta be honest. Do you do that character for the whole show? Yes. Like in character. Yes. That's 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 impressive. It's like I'm on board. The only time I'm not doing that is when I'm actually like talking to Craig about the the functions of the game and like actually playing the game. But otherwise, I'm always in the character and uh, talking like this and uh, acting as if I am JCPP. You're like the Daniel Day Lewis of the Game Villa Network. Yeah, he's become a fan favorite, believe it or not. Um, so that that's Wednesday, uh, Thursday. <laughs> that's spiral. Let me tell you, uh, Thursdays we got the uh, Legend of Retro, which uh, it's a great show. It's got our friends Chops, Xander, and Craig. And the glitch, uh, we've all been on it. We've done crossovers, uh, retro video games. It's great. Give it a listen. And then on Sundays, uh, currently on hiatus, but we have our Simpsons podcast, Noiseland Arcade. Uh, with they, they'll be back soon. But you know, there's there's plenty of episodes to catch up on. Absolutely. Uh, any, anything I missed, LBJ? We got a lot of streamers. Check us out. Go to GameZillaMedia.com. Find all your answers there. You know what else you can find in GameZillaMedia.com? Two things. Number one, Discord. We're on Discord. Discord us. It's great. We talk. It's fun. Uh, the other thing we do is we accept donations on Patreon because someone's got to pay for our stuff. And if it's somebody else is paying for it, it's better than us paying for it. 
Um, so we appreciate any money that you guys donate to us. Uh, it helps us pay for the software that we use to edit these shows and uh, some of the equipment we use. Um, otherwise, you know, it's it costs us money to do this show, generally. <laughs> uh, but thank you, patrons. We, uh, we love your support. There have been a lot of patrons that actually have signed up recently. And uh, oh. we're putting out new shows every every month. We have post-credit scene from us. We got uh, all kinds behind the DM screen is for noobs and dragons. There's all kinds of stuff. We have uh, uh, our special show that's just on Patreon called um, State of the Zilla, which I'm on an episode coming up. Uh, yeah, it's great. So patrons, thank you. If you're not a patron, you know, we would appreciate uh, anything you throw our way. So thank you, patrons. <laughs> Absolutely. And if, if you get a chance, if you're enjoying the show, you know, give us a check us out on Facebook, Instagram, all, all the social medias. Uh, we appreciate all the support. Yep. Um, but and, and we appreciate Dave and, and Corndog. Despite how terrible this movie was, it was a lot of fun to talk to you guys about it. Um, and, and hopefully next time we'll uh, we'll cover something that aggregates more than like a, a machine gun <laughs> between all of us. I'll try better, but I will make no promises. <laughs> you know Maybe what? next time throw Jeff in the mix too, so there can be a lot of awkward tension between the three of us. I, I haven't <laughs> promised Demolition Man on several occasions now. Oh, oh. On several occasions now, and every time, every time <laughs> it's fallen through. And I cannot well. tell you how upset I am that a you're back, and b <laughs> without Demolition Man. So does, if you get back seem- on here. Uh, Hovercraft, if you're going to have to tell him. Man. It does seem like that we have our next selection in, and it is not Demolition Man. You're going to have to tell him what it is. Oh. We'll talk off off Mike about that, uh, LBJ. But yeah, it, it, I will say in closing, it is insane that this podcast has gone on as long as it has, and we have not done Demolition Man yet. The, the uh, only reason why we haven't done it is because I keep getting told that you're going to do it, and then you don't do it. Otherwise, I would have done it a long time ago. Genuine right. anger. <laughs> we will we will put it on the schedule for real. Uh, all right, but well, I, I think that's it. I yeah. think we got it. Thank oh, yeah. you again, guys. This episode of the Last Action Podcast has been terminated, but we'll be back. Better be with Devilish, you sons of bitches. <laughs> <laughs>